This special election edition of Columbus on the Record is made possible with support from Time Warner Cable, helping inspire young people to build the skills they need to become the problem solvers of tomorrow. More at connectamillionminds.com. John Kasich plays the Barack Obama card in Mary Jo Kilroy and Steve Stiver's debate. From the Patel studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Bill Hershey, Statehouse reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Julie Carr-Smythe, Statehouse correspondent for the Associated Press. Brian Rothenberg, Executive Director of Progress Ohio. And Leah Sellers, Professor at Ohio Northern College of Law. We'll get to the congressional candidates in just a moment, but first, there is a little more than two weeks to go before Election Day. This weekend, President Barack Obama comes to town to try to fire up the Democratic base for Ted Strickland. John Kasich is using the visit against his opponent in this web ad. President Obama has been spending an awful lot of time in Ohio. In fact, he's made 10 trips to the Buckeye State. He's got another major rally planned there before November the 2nd. So why is Ohio so very important? Uh, whoever wins the governor's race in 2010 will be well positioned to help carry Ohio and influence the presidential election in 2012. Bill Hershey, what is John Kasich trying to do with this ad? Well, it's a humorous, semi-humorous attempt to convince voters that Barack Obama and Ted Strickland are tied at the political hip. Uh, Obama may fire up the Democratic base, but Kasich is counting on the notion that Obama might just as well fire up the Republican and Independent base and remind people that they don't like the Obama-Reed-Pelosi-Strickland agenda. And he also reminds people that Obama's going to run for re-election in 2012 and if Strickland's governor, he would be a big help to him. Seems to be a bit off message. He's been very good at sticking with nearly 400,000 jobs lost. Here he takes a bit of a turn. Wait, you're not seeing it on TV. No, it's web only. For that. There's yeah. a reason for yeah. that, and the reason is simply that, um, you know, in general, the president's uh, personal approval ratings are extremely high, even within the Republican Party. In fact, you'll see, even see in some of the Republican talking points that they're putting out to attack Obamacare, don't attack Obama. So you're only going to see this online. And it's interesting, too, that obviously the reverse is also true. Uh, if John Kasich controls the state in 2012, he can help the Republican, and they really don't have a strong uh, opponent for Obama that, that has emerged at this point. And so, you know, it sort of muddles the message. I think well, you're right. Well, they don't, but the Democrats didn't have a strong opponent uh, in 2000, you know, much before 2008 either, so it kind of muddles the message, but I, I don't think we should really expect the Republicans to have a standard bear yet. Leah? Yeah. Mike Huckabee was in that ad. That's right. He's uh, going to run maybe in 2012. It's true, true. Um, I, I think it's a good strategy for, for Kasich in the sense that uh, it requires Strickland to defend not only his own abysmal record, but also uh, the record of Obama, and to the extent that uh, you can stick and people are watching the web and watching these ads, it's a, it's a good strategy. Um, the Democrats today came out with an email from Martin Sheen, of all people, saying that if Rob Portman wins the Senate race, he's going to run for president in 2016 because he mentioned it once that he might want to do it and he's been speculated about. What's, what's behind that move? Well, I mean, 
all everybody is trying to point out how important this is. They you know they use the White House runs down the line to point out two things, I think, which is one, how important th this election is if you care about the future, and the other is just to show that you know the the Washington tie of of this person and and whether or not you are in love with Washington right now. There's something more basic though. Lee Fisher's desperate for money. Martin, he'll, he'd ask me to raise money for him <laughs> if he thought he would help him. And Martin Sheen's a big name. Yep. He was our favorite president on the West Wing, so maybe you can bring Fisher in a few dollars. The, the other thing is, you know, uh, Rob Portman has deep ties to the Cheney-Bush uh, family, that whole connection. A lot of those folks are looking for their next you know, big candidate to run for office. They're not enamored with a lot of the other candidates that are out there. And I think they're grooming him or they're looking at him. He's got a lot of Cheney Bush folks around him right now. Okay. Um, so. There's a poll out today. The Ohio poll this Friday has come out with a new poll that shows that John Kasich has, has lengthened his lead just a little bit. He's up by about eight points now in this latest Ohio poll, 51% to 43%. The Ohio poll did a poll a couple of weeks ago, and Kasich was only up by four. So he's doubled it in these two polls. Is, this, is Kasich back lengthening this lead again, or is it still basically tied and we're just this jumble of polls? Um, I think that the assumptions in these polls, you have to look very closely to make sure the assumptions are exactly right on who's going to turn out and who is going to uh, be likely to vote. And it, if you look at those numbers, it tightens a little bit more on this t current Ohio poll. Give it's give you a concern, Brian? Is it it's, from the it's a volatile. Well, it is a volatile electorate. Uh, the numbers coming in so far still show more Democrats voting early. And quite frankly, um, when you look at the the way that these polls are constructed, and you consider that as late as yesterday, uh, Kasich's chief funder, fundraiser was telling some of his folks in a conference call that they only had him two points up. It's anybody's ball game in that race. Well, the value of polls, though, is what happens between the polls. It's not the precise number, the how many points one candidate is down. This shows that Kasich, in this particular poll, has gained on Strickland. Uh, now the next poll might show something different, but this snapshot, that's what it shows. Right, and it is important to note that Strickland has spent a ton of money between the last poll and this one, um, both positive and negative ads. Um, and one of his benefits that he went in with was, you know, his ability to buy that time, and mm -hmm. apparently it didn't buy him too much. Let's take a look. Okay, Sorry, Leah, sorry. no, just more recently, he's, uh, Strickland's never been above 45, and that's, uh, you know, a pretty critical number for him to be under at this state uh, stage in the game. Okay, let's take a look at one of those ads that uh, Julie was referring to this week in a new TV ad. This is on television. Ted Strickland took aim at John Kasich's plan to basically privatize the Department of Development, put it in the hands of an independent board of private company executives. Congressman John Kasich outsourced our jobs and made millions in bonuses on Wall Street. Now Kasich wants to use our tax dollars to bring his corporate friends to Ohio to be in charge of jobs. And we won't have any pay restrictions there. If they deserve a, mo a bonus, we'll give them a bonus. You all are familiar with bonuses. We will not require them to disclose their bonus. Wall Street CEOs being paid secret bonuses? Isn't that what got us into trouble in the first place? It's going to be fantastic. We just can't trust John Kasich. 
We'll get to the politics of that ad in a minute, but, Julie, other states have tried this and they've had problems, which include criticism of bonuses, lack of transparency. It's not as easily said, uh, done as it's said. That's right. Um, there are successful state programs that have worked, but there is a lot of evidence of growing pains at the beginning when you're trying to do this. And the way the rules are written is extremely important. We found that uh, in some states, the bonuses were going to uh, job, uh, they were awarded for jobs that ultimately were not created. Uh, sometimes staff, uh, spouses were flown around and given perks in Florida. There was a case where the, the private fund was used to, to buy club memberships and that kind of thing. And Kasich acts like this is a magic wand. Uh, his favorite governor, Mitch Daniels, in Indiana has one of these. He sort of thinks of him as the mighty mouse of governors. He can wave his wand and economic development will just sprout up. The most recent report showed uh, Indiana unemployment was 10.2%, Ohio's 10.1%, so maybe that proves uh, economic development departments but, better. But while there are some questions, certainly, uh, about how this will work, and perhaps we can learn from some other states, I mean, we have to look at the birth of economic development in Ohio back under Governor Rhodes. It was Governor Rhodes and a handful of people who went out and got Honda, and they were it was a lean operation, agile, they were very responsive to the needs, and now we've grown uh, our Department of Development to 400 employees billion-dollar budget. Uh, something's not right, and uh, uh, business, the business community is complaining about about the current state. So Kasich's on to something. We just need, there, there are some details to iron out, certainly. But this is Ohio, and Ohio has a history of um, graft when it comes to trying to do these things, including what happened with Tom Noe and the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, which was also something that they were trying to help businesses with. This is not a state that has been known for not having the type of problems that Julie talked about, and I think it's a really risky thing given the culture in Ohio and the pay-to-play atmosphere that we've had in the past. I mean, doesn't this... This ad, I think, is very effective in that it, it, it's on message. I mean, it's the dangers of Wall Street. And here's John Kasich in his own words, perhaps taken slightly out of context, we're going to give bonuses to people. John Kasich slipped up here. He's been very disciplined. And he said in one speech that I heard him give, I'm not going to be a smart aleck. Well, that was a smart aleck John Kasich right there. And I I'm, don't think he is happy that he said it that way. Leah, does this, chance, does this ad uh, stand to hurt him? distance himself from this Wall Street thing again. I don't think so. That that uh, story's been played out so much that I don't think an additional uh, slip, if it, if it was a slip, uh, will, will hurt anything. And this, the latest polls uh, also show otherwise. Okay. U.S. Senate candidates debated for the third and final time this week. Democrat Lee Fisher and Republican Rob Portman blamed each other for Ohio's economic woes. If you want somebody who talks the talk, and once somebody who was in D.C. for 20 years creating the policies that put people out of work, he's your guy. But if you want somebody who doesn't whine and complain but gets on the field and actually saves and creates jobs everywhere in this state despite those economic wins, I hope you'll support Lee Fisher. So, look, I've, I've been here on the ground. I've actually been in the private sector trying to create opportunity at a time when Ohio has fallen behind. I mean, again, the numbers don't lie. Um, he has said a number of times tonight that, you know, we're far better off than other states. How can you say we're far better off than other states? Over 40 states have a lower unemployment rate than the state of Ohio. Brian Rothenberg, Lee, uh, Lee Fisher has been trying to link Rob Portman to George W. Bush throughout this campaign. Polls today show he's now down 22 points to Rob Portman. Why hasn't it worked? Well, polls have been all over the place in that race. But what I will that tell you... That one's been pretty consistently oh, yeah. wide. <laughs> yeah, but that one is wide. Mm -hmm. But I would say the problem is he hasn't been on the air 
to actually televise his message and and the message that we saw over on that screen there is is what came out. I would say if you actually watched that debate, I thought that was the best debate that Lee Fisher, I thought he'd done well in debates, he usually does, but that was the best one that he did. Um, I, I will say this, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is Rob Portman has been able to deflect his own responsibility for what had happened in Washington. And I don't think, based on what you're also seeing deeper in the polls, that people blame necessarily Lee Fisher entirely for Ohio's woes. Um, I don't think they blame Ted Strickland either when you look at the actual crosstabs. The problem is TV money. Well, and the problem is that George Bush uh, has not been in office uh, for about half the time, am I counting that right, that Strickland and Fisher have, and the unemployment is, is horrendous. And that, I think, is the main obstacle to them tying uh, Portman or anybody to, to George Bush. Is, is It's not seemingly relevant to voters right now. Um, Leah, does, does Rob Portman just coast in? Is there a chance of him uh, taking things for granted and sitting on this lead? 22 points is a lot with two weeks to go. Absolutely not. He's still out there, I think, getting his message out. And um, he's got a good message, and, and he stuck to it in this debate. Of course, Lee Fisher wants more debates because he needs the airtime. But Portman's no coaster. Just uh, this week, he sent out a letter to uh, Fisher asking him to sign a letter to Al Gore to oppose the cap-and-trade bill. So he's trying to open up new fronts. He'd like the lead to be 30 points, and if Fisher doesn't get some money, it might be. How about this? I was asked this week uh, by an NPR uh, political analyst that Jerry Brown, for instance, is being vastly outspent by Meg Whitman in California, but he is maintaining, the, he's maintaining a close race with her. Lee Fisher being outspent? He's well known in the state. Why isn't he closer, Brian? You know, I, it's a, it really is a matter of TV. I mean, you, you look at where they were in the polls, and he and the governor were very similar in the polls until people started spending money on television. Um, and the fact of the matter is, in Ohio, um, you know, Jerry Brown has been a very visible figure in California for decades. And even though Lee Fisher's been in office, it's a little different than Jerry Brown, who's actually a national figure. Is it figure. because Lee Fisher is in office now? And he's an incumbent, more or less? Well, Jerry Brown's so in office also yeah. as Attorney General. Yeah. I mean, it okay. really comes down to the fact that, you know, and these lower ticket, and we're not yeah. even talking a lot about the lower ticket races today, not a lot of people know who these folks are until, uh, until every four years when they go to vote for these people down ticket. Let's get to our final topic real quickly. The independent outside groups, they're facing increasing criticism as their ads show up on the air. The ads usually attacking one candidate for another candidate. They have groups, they have names like uh, Working America, Americans for Prosperity, the American Crossroads. Here's what they're spending on the local congressional races, according to the Sunlight Foundation. Now, this money is the money that's being spent against these candidates. Zach Space, a lot of money being spent against him. Bob Gibbs comes in second. Pat Tiberi, a little. Steve Stivers, a little. Mary Joe Kilroy, very little. And Paula Brooks, zero. Leah Sellers, we don't know a lot about these groups. Who's funding them? What Do you see a problem with giving the campaigns over to these groups? Well, we know George Soros isn't funding any of them because he's not throwing good money after after bad uh, after uh, in this election cycle. But um, usually, it's the people who aren't benefiting from the independent money who are who complain about it, and and it's just it's just turnaround time for for the Democrats. Um, I think it, I think it's interesting the amount of money spent on independent um, ads, but you also have to balance that with um, the Democratic uh, war chest, which is much uh, which is bigger than the Republican war chest, and also union spending is going up this election cycle. So. 
it's, it's roughly uh, equalized, just uh, a matter of strategy where the Democrats put the money. I, I Brian, you're, on a, you're, yeah. a, you're, you're head of an independent group. How's your war chest? Uh, well, my war chest is a, a lot different than it was in past years. We do have a PAC. We call it uh, PO PAC or PO PAC, and we put the PO in PAC. Um, <laughs> we really do. Um, but uh, what I will say is, in Ohio, at least this year, you, you notice most of the spending is, is against Democratic candidates, and that's because we had a law passed by uh, that the Supreme Court struck down and allowed corporate money to go in unfiltered into these these packs, and, and nobody knows who's giving the money. But I will tell you right now, it is like five to one that is being spent against Democratic candidates, and it's the Chamber of Commerce's, and it's it's all these business-type PACs that want to be able to outsource. But MoveOn.org did the same thing. Not, not at the level of, not well, at this level. Well, sort ever. of sour grapes, so I don't like these independent PACs, but Leah's exactly right. It's whoever's getting banged by them that bashes them. Remember, we did know who George Soros was, but you could hardly open the paper or listen to a Democrat without him wanting to bang George Soros on the head or move on .org. So I think it's sort of a whining thing. The, the Supreme Court, the Constitution is pretty clear. Everyone's got a right to free speech. But what's the solution? Because every time they change the law, there's another way around it, even if the Supreme Court didn't interfere in this one. Um, disclosure, disclosure, disclosure is yeah. my solution. Yeah. I mean, just let, every, let us all know all the money that's being spent and why. I mean, we had this interesting issue with... Um, uh, Rupert Murdoch giving money to the RGA and then saying publicly this past week that he actually gave it because of his friend John Kasich. Now, the RGA is not earmarking and isn't allowed to earmark a million dollars in money to Ohio, but it raised a question of, okay, they are spending a million, yep. more than a million in Ohio, but they're, they're rolling it into these campaign finance reports through 10 and $20 okay. campaign contributions. We have to end a bit early because the panel has to make way for Mary Jo Kilroy and Steve Stivers. But before the panel leaves, we need to get some off-the-record comments. And Leah Sellers, you're up first. I'm energized and excited about this election, not just because we know that there's going to be a massive change in guard this time, but also because I think these candidates are going to be informed by the rising uh, movement of fiscal conservatism. The Tea Party movement will make its mark this time instead of uh, it, it wasn't around last time. And I think these folks will go to Washington and Columbus and, and be more active fiscal conservatives. Brian. I think people are going to be very surprised at the bump that people get off of Barack Obama coming to town here. He's still extremely popular personally, um, and, and despite what some people might disagree with some of his policies, it really will give a boost. Julie. I think the conversation this coming week is going to be about the trillion dollars uh, the national debt is reaching, uh, and that that will, will not play well for Democrats. It may come up during the congressional candidate portion of this program. Bill. Who says bipartisanship is dead? Just this week, Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown spoke to Republican Governor Bob Taft's class at the University of Dayton. Brown reminded the class why he left the Secretary of State's office in 1990. In the Santa Sherrod campaign, Taft beat him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And my final thought, Columbus Journalism this week lost a great voice. Dispatch columnist Mike Harden passed away from cancer at the age of 64. We will all miss his wonderful storytelling, and our sympathies go out to his family, his friends, and his colleagues. We now turn to the candidates running for the 15th Congressional District.
And now, live from the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, the candidates for the 15th Congressional District join host Mike Thompson for this special election edition of Columbus on the Record. We now move from talking about the newsmakers to talking to the newsmakers. Our guests, Democrat Mary Jo Kilroy. She is seeking a second term as Congresswoman from the 15th District of Ohio. And Republican Steve Stivers, former state senator and the candidate who narrowly lost to Congresswoman Kilroy just two years ago. Let's get right into this. Uh, Mary Jo Kilroy, two years ago, you said your priority, your first priority of running for this office was to get the economy moving in the right direction. Since January of 2009, the unemployment rate in the three counties in the 15th district has risen from 7% to 8.3%. Is the economy moving in the right direction? Oh, my first, let me say thank you for hosting this, and thanks to the Columbus Metropolitan Club. It's great to be here with everybody tonight, including you, Steve. Uh, good to see you. We missed you at the other debates. But you know, the question of the economy is critical, and it is still the number one issue. You know, when I took office about two, 20 months ago, our economy was hemorrhaging jobs. And it was doing that because of flawed policies, like Wall Street, which was running like, uh, its offices like they were casinos, gambling with our money, gambling with our savings, and causing this huge collapse in the housing market. And with it, a, a huge loss of jobs and bank closings. And also, we have a flawed trade policy policy that is sending jobs overseas, encouraging jobs to go there with our tax policy. As a member of Congress, we uh, knew that we needed to address that, and we passed the Recovery Act, which stopped the hemorrhaging. It put a tourniquet on that, but it's not enough. You know, we need to do more, and we are going to do more, and I'm glad to see that we have had about eight consecutive months of private sector job growth. Steve Stivers. You lost to Mary Jo Kilroy by 2,300 votes two years ago, less than 1%, or roughly 1%. Um, if you had come up with 2,300 votes, you'd be sitting here as the incumbent. I'm sure it's a thought that has crossed your mind at least a couple of times over the past couple of years. Had you been the incumbent, had, were you, if you were the incumbent, had you won two years ago, would the central Ohio economy be a whole lot different than what it is right now? Well, I think it would be because uh, I would have been focused in Congress on uh, jobs, and I would have been focused on cutting spending. Uh, this Congress has increased spending by $4 trillion in just two years. That's 40%. My daughter, Sarah, who's now a year old, now owes $43,000 as her share of the national debt because of the spending. Uh, and we've got to get small business engaged in this fight to create jobs. We need to give them more certainty, certainty on things like health care costs. The health care bill actually increased costs. We need to give them more certainty on utility bills. Frankly, the cap-and-trade legislation would increase utility bills of the average house by $100 a month. And we need to extend the tax cuts because now is not the time to increase taxes on anybody. But would the district be any better off had you been in Congress? I believe they would have. I believe but I would, what would have you listened have done to the differently to create jobs. Well, I would have listened to the district. I would have helped uh, small business folks uh, get access to credit. And I think that would have helped make sure that the economy is better off today. In fact, the financial regulatory reform bill uh, is allocating credit, and it's causing small businesses to have a harder time getting loans today. Congresswoman Kilroy, on the well, on the on the is Wall Street. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Steve uh, indicated that you know he would cut spending, and, and that's the main theme of his campaign: is cutting spending. But 
every Republican economist, Mark Sandy, who uh, advised John McCain and, and Ronald Reagan, and many others, advised us that what we needed to do was to pass that stimulus bill to create jobs. And if we hadn't done it, Steve, we would be facing double-digit unemployment. And that's from the same kind of Republican economists agreeing with us with that. You talk about our kids. And you talk about cutting spending. And then in the next breath, you say you want to extend the tax cuts for the millionaires and the billionaires. You know, if you want to get serious about the deficit, you can't do that. You, get, you have to let those Bush tax expire. And if we did that, we could pay down our debt to China in about 10 years. Look, but you want to tell this fairy the, tale. Let's get to the stimulus first. Let's Senator talk about the stimulus. Yeah. Uh, the stimulus bill uh, only included about 3% investment in roads, bridges, and infrastructure. Uh, the president admitted this week that uh, the stimulus bill uh, did not focus on job-ready projects. In fact, it funded things like a joke machine. It funded things like a study on caterpillars eating cocaine. It funded things like a study between about ants communicating with each other and $10 million just to fund signs to tell people the great things that the bill was doing. Let's talk, and what, what we should have done, yeah. I believe, is... Well, let's, let's look okay. at what, what it went to. In your district, let me just point this out. In your district, that stimulus bill sent $19 million to Union County, $9 million to Madison County, and $300 million to Franklin County, paid for teachers, police officers, road improvements, health care research, conversion to electronic medical records. Wasn't that money worth it, Steve? Uh, I think that uh, there was a lot of wasted money in the stimulus bill. What we need to was do... Was that wasteful? That's bad. Uh, some of it was, some of it wasn't. Frankly, uh, infrastructure is where we needed to invest. That creates real jobs. And uh, again, only 3% of the bill was on infrastructure, and we need to spend more money on infrastructure. Uh, frankly, this Congress uh, is a year late authorizing the transportation bill. It should have been done last October. It's now the middle of this October, and they still haven't funded a transportation bill that funds projects for the long term. We can't just keep funding temporary, one-time solutions. We need to set a situation up that funds things for the long term. And we should have funded, they should have funded, this Congress, the uh, transportation bill. I mean, this is a referendum on the things that this Congress should have done, uh, as well as the things that they did that were wrong. Congresswoman Kilroy, $328 million came to Central Ohio the, from the stimulus. How many jobs did that create? Well, I, <laughs> it created jobs and it saved jobs. Do it we kept, know how many? I don't know the exact number. It kept, kept teachers in the classroom. It kept uh, police on the street. It kept firefighters in the station house. It created jobs with, and it set the stage for creating jobs as well by giving tax cuts and one of the, by, uh, the 30, uh, over a third, maybe close to 40%, was tax cuts for, to the middle class, for working people, that had a ripple effect out into the community that also helps keep our economy going and create jobs. You know, and it helped uh, the real estate market and, and, and uh, encourage uh, uh, people to buy homes. So, I mean, there's a great deal that that did. Increased money for food stamps and unemployment compensation. But critically, you know, Steve is very uh, is saying that he doesn't approve of the stimulus now. But when he was asked the question previously, he has said he wouldn't he wouldn't stop it. He wouldn't change it. And when he was a state senator, he voted for stimulus dollars. So, you know, there's a little uh, hypocrisy here. The bond package I supported as a state senator was for roads, bridges, and infrastructure, and it put people back to work. It was on identifiable projects that uh, actually built our infrastructure and put people back to work. That's what we should be doing in Congress. That's what 
we should be doing in Washington, not just spending on uh, these pinup demand of priorities for Congress people. What, what, one thing that stimulus did pay for was it helped Ohio, the state of Ohio, solve its budget crisis uh, two years ago, I guess, a year and a half, two years ago. The state faces another eight, up to an $8 billion deficit when the new budget comes around. Would you vote for stimulus money or federal help to help Ohio and other states balance their budget? I think the best way to help people, uh, best help states balance their budget is get people back to work. One out of every 11 people in this district is unemployed right now. We need to get small business engaged in this fight to create jobs. They're scared by the things like the health care bill. In fact, the mandates in the health care bill uh, are scaring these small businesses every day. I was talking to a small businessman in Hilliard. Six months. Would you vote to support four to eight billion dollars to help Ohio balance its budget? I believe that uh, the federal government can't continue to bail states out time after time after time. Uh, we've got to start some fiscal discipline. We've got to start um, being responsible with tax dollars. Would so that be a no? As a no. Congresswoman Kilroy, would you vote to send some money to Ohio to help it balance its budget? Yeah, I think that we need to take a look at where the states are. We need also take a look at research and development credits for business so we can make things in America again. We need to take a look at really getting infrastructure going. And I think Ohio was very smart not to just say throw money at shovel-ready stuff, but plan projects that were really needed. And, you know, we, and, but we also need to take a look at the bill. So the real answer is, what is the, how is that bill going to be paid for? And what is its impact going to be? And until we know that and, and read the bill, we can't really say whether I'd vote for it or not. Because I want to make sure that we are following uh, the rules that we put in place to deal with spending. You know, our Congress knew spending was an issue. But we, and we cut $500 billion out of the budget. That's half a trillion dollars, and we need to do more. Mm -hmm. And we also passed new rules of the road called pay-as-you-go. Let me get to the pay-as-you-go. You support the pay-as-you-go legislation where you... Uh, if, you, if you can't either raise the revenue or cut the spending to pay for a measure, it shouldn't be approved. That's right. You voted for the stimulus. You voted to extend unemployment benefits. Those weren't paid for. We borrowed money to pay for those. Well, why there, there why were certain emergencies that we had to deal with. We could not keep our economy going with this economy hemorrhaging jobs. So we had to turn that around. And again, you know, we would have been in a depression. We would have had double-digit unemployment. And, you know, we can't pretend that that situation wasn't a real crisis. It was. And we needed to take action on that. But we also needed to say this deficit and our spending issues are real. And so we put into place new rules and continue to find other places throughout the course of the year to cut from the budget. Let's get uh, Senator Stivers. Would you, would you not vote for anything that wasn't paid for? I think pay-as-you-go is a good concept, but Congresswoman Kilroy and this Congress have waived pay-as-you-go 11 times. That's why we've added $4 trillion to the national debt in two years. It's a 40% increase in just two years. Uh, I think we've got to start actually cutting uh, spending, and we've got to look at programs. Uh, I think we need a two-year budget, so there's time to go through every program. This Congress, for the first time, didn't pass a budget since 1974. They've actually not passed any of the appropriations bills. I think we need a two-year budget to have time to go through every line item, give the president a line item veto, fund the programs that are working, and don't fund the programs that aren't working, uh, performance-based budgeting in that way. 
Uh, in a moment, we're going to take questions from our audience. We urge you to join us online at WOSU.COTR, where we are hosting a live chat. So join in the conversation if you're by your TV and have your computer nearby. Uh, Senator Stivers, most economists agree to reduce federal spending. You've got to cut in three areas. The big one is Medicare, then there's Social Security, and there's military spending. Specifically, where would you, would you support cuts in any or all of those areas to balance the budget? Well, I think we need to... Uh try to make sure that we uh, reduce spending everywhere we can. Uh, I, look, I saw a study recently that said 10% of the Medicare budget is waste, fraud, and abuse. Uh, I think we need to cut that waste, fraud, and abuse. Uh, in Social Security, uh, I think we need to focus on the fact that this Congress and previous Congresses have taken $2.5 trillion out of the Social Security Trust Fund. That money was intended for um, our seniors. Uh, that money is now gone and spent. But the best way to fix Social Security is to put Congress under Social Security. They exempt themselves out of lots of laws. They are exempted out of the health care law. Actually, they can choose to opt into the health care bill. Uh, they're exempted out of Social Security. We need to make sure Congress lives by the same rules as everybody else. Besides, and on military spending, yeah. I think we need to wind down in, in Iraq and uh, in Afghanistan. Um, we need to do it in a safe way, look out for our national interest. Uh, but we need to figure out how we can reduce that spending. And I, I do support what the president's done uh, to wind down operations in Iraq. I also support what he's done to make Afghanistan safe by adding troops now and then ultimately turn that over to the Afghan government. Social Security and Medicare. Congresswoman Kilroy, would you support cuts there to, to balance the budget? You say you want to get tough on the budget. Here are two huge areas. Well, first, let me say that, you know, saying that Congress exempted itself from the health care bill might be a good applause line for Republican fundraisers, but it's just not true. And it's just really unfortunate that so much is put out there during the course of this election cycle that it just does not uh, fit, comport with the facts. But first, let's talk about Medicare. We addressed issue of Medicare waste, fraud, and abuse by directing in the Health Care Reform Act a great deal of uh, resources to make sure that we can cut that waste and cut that fraud. None of us want to be see, see our Medicare dollars go for anything other than their purpose. And we also cut money from Medicare Advantage, private insurance that was doing the same thing that public uh, entities were doing and charging us more uh, than those uh, public entities. We cut Medicare Advantage over payments because those overpayments hurt Medicare. By doing that, we made the Medicare Trust Fund extend longer and make health care more available for more people. And Medicare Advantage still exists. We also cut military spending. We cut uh, weapons systems that the Pentagon did not want, that uh, did not fit with uh, our Defense Secretary's view of, of how we wanted our Army to operate. And we need to do more of that. We need to make sure that those kind of uh, special interest politics that goes on so often in Washington doesn't continue in this area of military spending. I want to I move to uh, advertising. Call it truth in advertising. The whole truth in advertising, I think, is probably more appropriate. Um, we're talking about some of the ads you've been running that um, have taken some heat. First, Congresswoman Kilroy. Here's a segment of a TV ad. You've run on local TV. As a new member, I decided to lead by example. I froze my own pay, voted against a bank bailout. While you did vote against a symbolic bank bailout measure in February, you were not in Congress when TARP, the big bank bailout, was approved in the fall of 2008. But as a candidate for Congress in the fall of 2008, we asked you about it. 
So although I have criticisms of some things in the bill, I would have liked to see a stronger clawback uh, so to make sure the investors, the taxpayers get money back. I would have liked to see a stronger oversight. Um, I think I, I would have voted for the bill because we needed to move. So how do you reconcile the ad with what you said in 2008? Well, I was right. They needed more clawbacks and they needed more oversight, and that was a fatal flaw in that bill. But you voted for the bill, and the ad says... No, I didn't vote you for the bill. But I you didn't voted, vote for but it. you said you supported the bill. I, I, I supported it. against the I, bill. I, I, you know, we needed to, I don't think there's a lot of argument that we needed to address the issue of our failing financial systems. We needed to do it in a responsible way. And at the time that we were doing that debate, this uh, financial crisis was just coming to the forefront. And we didn't know, we didn't have the knowledge at the time when that question was asked, that Secretary Paulson, the Bush administration, was giving the banks essentially blank checks. You well, know, he told ad. us he yeah. told us at the time that that money was going to be used for lending and for buying up toxic assets. My point is the ad. You say you voted against but, the bank bailout, said, but you, you voted for you said you supported. No, let me say two other things about mm -hmm. that if I can. One is you said it was a symbolic vote. The, the Senate had already said the, they don't want to But the vote it. was real. I mean, we needed it was a real it. vote. We, but it's it was a moved. real vote. You know, what was I uh, voted present? I mean, that doesn't work. You need to stand up and say what you wanted to do on that, on that vote. Frankly, the House votes on a lot of things that the Senate uh, takes action on or doesn't take action on. You can, call, already you can action. call a lot of them. Yeah. But we wanted to be on the record as saying what we thought and let the uh, administration know what the House thought about this second installment of TARP, still without things like clawbacks and regulations and oversight. Okay. And I think it was an important message to send the administration. Finally, I, I in get terms to of bank Steiner's bailouts... We'll, we'll get to the bailout well, in a minute. But the, Senator Stivers, let's take a look at one of your ads. In this spot, you criticized Congresswoman Kilroy for her support of cap-and-trade legis legislation, which penalizes company that, companies that pollute and rewards companies that don't. Critics call it an energy tax. Here's the ad. Congresswoman Kilroy. Her record, a job-killing energy tax that could destroy more than 100,000 Ohio jobs. Yet, in 2008, here's what you said about this issue. But I would also favor, uh, philosophically, a cap-and-trade type of system because it gives pollution value, and then you can work to try to reduce that pollution. Is it fair to criticize your opponent for supporting legislation you supported, or has your position well, changed? My, uh, you know, in 2008, frankly, uh, the cap-and-trade bill was not a real bill, and the details of the bill matter. And the National Association of Manufacturers came out and said that the cap-and-trade bill, as it passed, would kill 100,000 jobs in Ohio, and I'll look at everything through the lens of jobs. But the cap, there was always going to be a cap and a financial penalty for companies, manufacturers, and utilities who exceeded pollution limits. That was going to be a, quote, tax, an energy tax, regardless but, of how, what the details were. Sure, but the details matter, and the details affect jobs. And this will kill 100,000 Ohio jobs, and uh, that's when I changed my, my mind on cap-and-trade earlier this year, and I was very clear about it. It's about jobs. We want to talk about the national debt. Get back to that. Senator Stivers, you mentioned that it's increased by 36% over the past two years during President Obama's first two years. It'll be 40% by the end of December, yes. But it increased 15% in the last three years that Republicans controlled Congress and the White House. Are, are, are Republicans to be trusted to reduce the debt when they increased it as well? 
I think both Republicans and Democrats have made mistakes on spending in the past. But just to put it in perspective, in eight years of the Bush administration, uh, there was the national debt increased by $4 trillion. In two years of this Congress, the national debt increased by $4 trillion. Um, that's a staggering increase in two years. It's unprecedented spending, uh, and we can't keep it up. We've got to focus on cutting spending. That's why I've got a budget plan, and that's a two-year budget, performance-based budgeting, so you fund programs that are working and cut programs that aren't working, uh, and also giving the president a line-item veto. Um, you know, I think we need to set up a system that works. Uh, that's why I want to make common-sense budget reforms. We have a question from a member of our audience. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes. I wonder if each of the candidates could answer this. What kinds of regulations and constraints should be placed on the financial services industry in order to protect the public and our economy in the future? Congresswoman Kilroy, we'll let you take a crack at that first. From well, this point forward, we know we've passed some reform already. From this point forward, what well, else could be? And that reform was significant, mm -hmm. and I think it shouldn't just be you know, passed okay. over here because you know we uh, were left with the crisis on Wall Street, a crisis caused by Republican policies of deregulating, allowing Wall Street to act like a, a casino with our Sarbanes money. Sarbanes-Oxley was passed and signed by President Clinton, which many believe was the start of what happened with the housing crisis, where commercial banks were able to mix in with investment banks. And, uh, and we need to, uh, in, the, in the Wall Street reform bill, uh, there are uh, separations that can be put into place by the, by the Fed with a two-thirds vote to require uh, that kind of separation. If a bank is uh, in danger of failing, actions can be taken as well with a two-thirds vote. And the um, uh, hedge funds and others are not allowed to do certain things with, uh, with money that doesn't belong to them. So we need to make sh and put strong rules on that that, that also tends to, with, with the Volcker rule, tends to uh, go towards that separation. Uh, going forward, I think we need to work on, on and we're going to continue to work on, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac already have stronger oversight, stronger regulations, and are in receivership. But we need to address the issue of what we're going to do with the housing market and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I think they're really important parts of the financial system Let's that we need to address. Thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, I think that this, the biggest problem in the financial regulatory reform bill is it didn't deal with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And I would argue that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were part and parcel to this problem. They helped create this problem, and this Congress left them alone. The taxpayers are now on the hook for $1.7 trillion as part of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and every day that liability is going up. Uh, I actually agree with the Congresswoman. The Volcker Rule made sense. It keeps bank from, banks from gambling with money that they get at the Federal Reserve window. Um, it, uh, it helps. There were some things that were good in the bill, but the problem with the bill is it didn't deal with the cause of the crisis, and that's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It also, I believe... Is that the only cause of the crisis, though? That was one of the big causes of the crisis. Public policy in general, encouraging uh, folks that weren't ready and weren't able to buy a home, and, and in the past hadn't been able to, to, uh, to buy a home. And uh, clearly, there were lots of lenders who did bad things. 
There was people on Wall Street who did bad things, but, but it started with public policy. Well, you know, if, if that's really a rather naive view of what caused this financial crisis, or maybe trying to not to take into account what the Republican policies did with deregulating Wall Street and not following regulations, what the, the SEC Demo did, did by not enforcing the regulations that were on the books, the Democrats and what Steve Stivers did as a lobbyist mm -hmm. and as a member of the state legislature to uh, 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 voted against regulations on predatory lenders, uh, supported payday lenders with uh, uh, our tax dollars, giving them tax breaks. I mean, all of that played into it. Deregulation and began with President Clinton when he undid the separation between investment banks and commercial banks. Would you agree with that? It wasn't just Republicans. That was a bad, I, I don't think that was a good thing for our economy, but we had eight years of the Bush administration, and eight years of the Bush administration telling Fannie and Freddie to lend, lend, lend into the housing market as well. And you can't let uh, forget about that either. Let's get out to health care, which is another huge issue. I don't want to let the night pass without talking about it. Uh, Senator Stivers, would you vote to repeal the health care bill or any parts of it? Uh, I think we need to fix the health care bill. I'd like to get rid of the new taxes. Uh, everybody in this audience tonight, everybody that's watching on TV faces potentially a 3% uh, tax on the capital gain of the sale of their home uh, and any sales of their stocks or bonds or anything in their portfolio because of the health care bill. That's the upper income that's earners. The, that it's not everybody. The, I don't know what our audience is made up of, but I'm not sure it's everybody <laughs> in this audience. The, uh, the health care bill also I included new paperwork on burdens on small business, uh, the so-called 1099 that they have to do if they do business, more than $600 with uh, someone. But the biggest problem in the health care bill is it actually increases costs instead of decreasing costs. Uh, it creates 156 new bureaucracies. Uh, we've got to deal with costs. What I want to do going forward is pass real tort reform, encourage healthy behaviors. Right now, uh, the way our system works, there's no incentives to offer to live a healthy lifestyle, Doesn't we need to fix that. The, the, the bill, correct me if I'm wrong, eliminates copays for mammograms and other preventative. The bill does a good job of prevention. What it doesn't do is encourage people to stop smoking, to you know not eat to excess, not drink drink to excess. Uh, we need real reform that encourages people to live a healthy lifestyle. Uh, the bill did a decent job on prevention. The bill does some things right. The bill uh, dealt with pre-existing condition. We have to deal with pre-existing condition. We all agree on some of those things, but uh, the the bill did not focus on cost. Congressman Kilroy, you man the bill mandates people buy health insurance. You have to buy health insurance at some point over the next few years. Is that fair when you don't have a real stick to use against hospitals and, me and medical providers to control their costs? You know, it's interesting that you brought that up because in 2008, Steve was all for individual mandates. That was one of the things that he supported, as well as networks, pre-existing conditions, keeping kids on your plan. What does this sound like? This sounds like the health care bill that we passed that the Republicans, John Boehner now wants to uh, uh, repeal, and, and, and Steve was going to be part of that if he's in Congress. He would repeal that health care bill. Does it do enough to control costs? You know, we had, we did we could do a lot more to control costs. And one of the things, two things we can do that I pushed for, one was a public option, which would help control costs by putting more uh, uh, competition into the insurance market that too often is a monopoly or a duopoly in, in, in most major markets. Secondly, um, we need to deal with prescription drugs. And I was pushing for a policy that would end this practice, uh, uncompetitive practice, 
where brand name drug companies actually make so much money that they can pay a generic company not to make that generic brand when their uh, patent expired. And that cost our system so much money. I also think that all of the insurance companies need to come under the rubric of our antitrust laws and they're exempt from that now. We've put into place accountable care organizations. We're putting into place things that will help control and help people live with chronic illness. Those are big drivers of costs in our system. And I think we need to continue to do more to control costs. But, um, you know, Steve is being disingenuous when he also says that, you know, what, what he would do is end the ways that this bill is paid for. We need to pay for this bill. To respond to that. You know, Congresswoman Kilroy is going to continue to distract from her record on jobs and her record on spending. Uh, I've never said that I'm for repeal of this bill. I've always said there's some good things in the bill. Uh, but there's a lot of bad things in this bill. It builds way too big a system uh, instead of focusing on cost, instead of focusing on making health care more affordable uh, for everybody. That's what we need to focus on. When I've, I've knocked on about 80,000 doors with my campaign staff and myself, and people tell me that cost is the problem. The dispatch said Congresswoman Corey wasn't listening to her constituents when she voted for this bill. Besides tort reform, which is really a, a drop in the bucket when you look at the, the billions of dollars you spend on health care, and, and some economists say preventive care actually will not reduce costs. It's good medicine, but it won't reduce costs in, in some respects. What other thing can be done to reduce costs? Sure. I, you know, we need to end the government cost shift that is uh, costing everybody with private insurance more every day. But that was happening before this was passed. It was. Healthcare spending right. has tripled since 1990. It, it has. We need to encourage... Um, folks to have consumer-driven health care. This health care bill walked away from health savings accounts. It limited the amount to $2,500. It used to be $5,000. And that's the wrong direction to go. Health savings accounts have people asking the question, what does it cost, which is actually healthy. Um, it's, you don't want people making their whole health decision on that, but you want people asking those questions. So it's, uh, uh, it's really... This bill just goes the wrong direction. And, you know, when I say encourage healthy behaviors, that's more than just prevention. It's changing people's lifestyle. That affects 40% of our overall health costs are people's life cho lifestyle choices. Our Let's bill get. put a big emphasis on wellness and prevention, on primary care and medical homes, and helping people learn how to live healthy lives. You know, but what we're not dealing with here is the 50 million people in this country who are without health insurance. 50 million people. And, you know, tort reform and health savings accounts are not going to address that really critical major issue. We need to get to a question from our audience. Go ahead, please. Uh, should the top marginal personal income tax rate uh, go back to uh, pre-2001 levels, and should the capital gains rate be allowed to follow? Why or why not? And can you discuss the trade-offs involved in this? Senator Stivers, would you, this is the ending the Bush tax, tax cuts. Uh, the President Obama has said, Let's continue the Bush tax cuts for everybody except those making over $250,000. Sure. Would you vote to do that? I would extend all the tax cuts. I believe that, uh, frankly, we have um, a big problem in this country if we punish success. We can't punish success and expect more of it. We need to, I think, extend all the tax cuts, including the, the highest marginal rate and the capital gains tax, because those are the things that get people working. A lot of small businesses run their all their business income through their personal return. Those are the successful small businesses that are adding employees and can add employees. Those businesses are sitting on cash today because they're scared of 
the uncertainty. We need to give them certainty, have them use that cash to create jobs, not just pay taxes. How does, it, how does extending the tax cuts, though, help you with the budget deficit? Because a lot of people blame the Bush tax cuts and a war in Iraq at the same time for really blowing up the, def- blowing well, up the budget. If you look at the tax revenues from uh, when Bush came in office in 2001 through when he left in 2008, uh, tax revenues actually exceeded inflation after the cuts. So we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. We need to deal with that spending problem first and then have a conversation with the American people about how much government do you want? Do you want more cuts or, or are you willing to pay more taxes? Congressman Kilroy, would you extend all the tax cuts or just the tax cuts for the folks below 250 grand? Mike, I've been a leader in the effort in Congress to extend tax cuts for working people, for middle class people. I think families right now need that, 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 those tax cuts, and I think it's important while this economy, especially when this economy is uh, st- still not recovered, to keep that. But we cannot afford the tax cuts for the millionaires and the billionaires, the wealthiest and most privileged people in this country. Um, I support things to help our businesses, like a small business tax cuts, and the Recovery Act had a great deal of those. Accelerated depreciation, um, uh, more uh, long-term research and development tax uh, support for our businesses instead of this year-by-year thing that doesn't really help manufacturing, for example, or help us really make things. But, you know, we've got to deal with the deficit. And, you know, uh, Steve talks about the deficit and the debt, and, but, you know, we inherited a $10 trillion uh, debt from the Bush administration. But it increased by 36%. And we increased by, and we need to talk about why that is, because those tax cuts are still in place because the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan are still in place, and because of Wall Street and its recklessness and our bad trade policy, we have lost jobs. And those other, are the things we need to correct. We have another question from a member of our audience. Go ahead, please. Uh, turning from the national scene and casting aside all of the mud, what are your two top goals or priorities for the people of the 15th District, and how do you intend to attain them if elected? Congressman Kilroy, we'll start with you. The top goal is jobs. The top goal is getting uh, uh, America making things again and helping our businesses recover and flourish. And I think that's what we need to do. And that's why I want to work with the president with, our, with the infrastructure plans and, and make sure that we have a way to pay for them. Work with our business community and, and find ways to uh, provide the appropriate incentives for them so that they are making the products that people want to buy and that we can export. And we need to deal with our flawed trade policy. We have taken a start on some of our issues with China by passing on the House side a, a, a bill with respect to the currency manipulation. And I'm glad to see that the Treasury Department is standing up to China and making some inroads there. We have to deal with that in terms of our a jobs. A couple minutes left. Senator Stivers. Sure. My priority is to get people back to work. And I know that government's not going to create jobs. Business is going to create jobs. We need to give businesses and small businesses more certainty. We need to give them more certainty on taxes, thus extending the tax cuts. We need to give them more certainty on um, utility bills, thus getting rid of things like cap and trade that will add $100 a month to the average household bill. And we need to give them more certainty on health care by helping deal with the costs by the ways I talked earlier. The second thing is not burying our kids in a mountain of debt. And that means cutting back spending. Those are the two priorities I'd do and how I'd get them done. I talked about my budget reforms. Since we're short on time, I won't re-mention how I do that. Uh, we just have about a minute left, and we end each show with our off-the-record comments. I'm not going to ask you folks to go off the record and make any predictions. But my one question is, and I'll start with you, Senator Stivers, 
How can we get the two parties to work better together? 30 seconds. Well, we need to get people to work together by sending people to Washington who've done it. And um, I worked in Ohio with Governor Strickland on Medicaid buy-in to get people on Medicaid that have disabilities, like Melissa Day, who's in the audience tonight, uh, jobs, and then let them keep their Medicaid and pay more as they get more. Worked with Rick Pfeiffer on vacant and abandoned housing to put it in productive use. Uh, in short, we need to... Place, Washington is a very difficult place to, to be bipartisan, but I believe there'll be about 100 freshmen this year, and I look forward to reaching out to folks as soon as they get to Washington to work together in a real way. Congresswoman Kilroy's voted 98% with her party. Uh, I want to work to make sure we bring people together on a common get, sense agenda. Congresswoman Kilroy, to, how, how can we avoid this strife? You know, when we have one party saying that they are the Republican Party, saying they're the party of no, the party of obstruction, it becomes very difficult. When they say that their goal is to see the president fail, we should be angered with that and that kind of obstructionism that's going on. That being said, sometimes in committee you get into bipartisan. I passed a bill, medical debt bill, to give relief to thousands of people that have been hit with medical debt with the help of Republicans in our committee, and we got a big Republican vote on the floor. But there is too much of that going on, and I'm really afraid uh, of what, what this next Congress is going to look like. Okay, and got, I just want to point out, like, since he's no, tapped, we're tapped out of, we're out go of to time. the tap. We're out of time. <laughs> that is Columbus on the record for this week. My thanks to our candidates and to our audience and to our partner, the Columbus Metropolitan Club. Next week, we're going to do the same thing. These two won't be back. We'll have two different candidates, candidates from the 18th District, Democrat Zach Space and Republican Bob Gibbs right here at WOSU at COSI. Again, we urge you to check us out on Twitter and Facebook, all that great stuff's at our website, WOSU.org, and you can continue the discussion at our live chat at our website. So for everyone here at WOSU at COSI, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. Thank you all. This special election edition of Columbus on the Record is made possible with support from Time Warner Cable, helping inspire young people to build the skills they need to become the problem solvers of tomorrow. More at connectamillionminds.com.